0: everybody welcome back to the show confessions of a creative director the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors for people who love creative directors or hate creative directors or want to be creative directors or really just want to learn more about how the creative process works uh, get inside the brain of of some really uh, brilliant People, so everybody's welcome. Tell your friends, anybody that works at an agency or works in a creative capacity, tune into the show. I think uh, I think you'll pick something up. You'll learn a lot. As a matter of fact, on today's show, I have a really brilliant uh, executive creative director named Josh Greenspan from Strawberry Frog in New York City, a really great boutique type shop. Uh, Well, they're they're pretty big. They work with some uh, heavy hitters, Walmart, Northwell Health. Uh, He's done some stuff for Jim Beam. This guy's been around uh, before Strawberry Frog. He was at Mother, McCann, uh, Gray, uh, some IPG shops. I mean, the guy has really been around the block, and we have a really great conversation. And I think what I really love about Josh is that he is funny. In fact, uh, he actually uh, tried his hand at a little stand-up comedy Um, But what I found about funny people is that they typically have a lot of depth, right? They're very thoughtful, they're very smart, and Josh is no exception. Really bright, funny, uh, insightful, has a a really great point of view about the work that we do, uh, and also has a great confession at the end about one of his first pieces that ran in the New York Times. So you got to listen to the whole thing. Uh, But without further ado, let's get into it with josh greenspan hey josh good morning how are you good morning i'm doing well thanks for having me excellent thanks for uh thanks for jumping on i know it's it's early it's uh 7 a.m here in uh, california uh we're not gonna i guess we're not gonna be able to do our our cocktail unless maybe you want to slip a little something in your in your coffee. Uh, I don't know what. To, uh, are you a coffee drinker? Are you a tea
1: drinker? Yeah, yeah No, I, I start with alcohol in my coffee every morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you kind of. Some days you kind of have to, right? <laughs> it's it's sort of like, yeah, maybe I need a little a little something to, to take the edge off.
1: Yes, some people start with Flintstone vitamins. I just—I'm a raging alcoholic in a pandemic. No, no problems. <laughs>
0: that's a—that's a whole yeah, other—that's a whole other, uh, uh, that's a whole other uh, episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. Maybe that'll be your right. confession yeah. later <laughs> yeah, on.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right. I should—I should have started. Yeah, I'll save that. I'll save yes, that.
0: yes, yeah, yes, save that. Um, but you know, interesting enough, uh, interestingly enough, as we were preparing for the call. You told me something kind of interesting about uh when you started at Strawberry Frog, right? You started right you started a very interesting time, let's just say. Why don't you tell the uh the listeners about that?
1: Yeah, so I was freelancing at Strawberry Frog for a bit. Um, And then I had conversations with Scott Goodson, our founder, about joining full-time. And we finally came to an agreement. And on March 13th, I believe it was a Friday 13th, he gathers everybody around and says, good news, everybody. I'd like to introduce our new executive creative director, Josh Greenspan. And today will be the last day in the office. Good luck. Oh, my (laughs) Um, God. He didn't say good luck. But he was very compassionate about it. But, yeah, so I started the day that we went virtual, and that was... The beginning of the end the end of the beginning whatever it may be
0: and so how how has that been because or did you know many of the the folks that are on your team or were you sort of getting to know them have you been getting to know them over zoom and and sort of in this virtual world or did you know some of them
1: already yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I did know a decent amount of folks. So that was good. And, you know, unfortunately, a strawberry frog is um, a nice, manageable size, and we have a great culture. So, you know, I already had some human connections with people in the physical world before we became rectangularized. Um, but you know, but it's still it's still tough to all of a sudden take over de- a department and not just lead creative, but try to build a culture to try and shape right. uh, what you want creative to be, what you want your department to be, how you want everyone to interact, how you want concepting to be, and now everyone's doing it through very regularly scheduled intervals on Zoom and Google Meets and and all those kind of stuff.
0: You know, something just just hit me and struck me as funny is I wonder if they scheduled Zoom time to talk crap about us. Like, you know, because they don't have the water cooler. So they, how do they complain about the ECD? They have to, yeah, they have they to jump on a Zoom,
1: right? And then like, God, that guy's the worst. Yeah. I think now now that they've relegated to Slack. <laughs> <laughs> mid, Mid-Zoom, mid you'll just hear the notifications pop up. This dumb son of a bitch doesn't <laughs> Oh, that's my biggest
0: nightmare, by the way, to t- to type something out and then realize that I've sent it to everybody. But uh oh, Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's life in the in the modern world. So, uh, Strawberry Frog, uh, incredible shop. You've kind of done the tour of New York City. You've worked for a lot of the uh, uh, major players and also some really cool boutique shops. Tell us about sort of your career path uh, leading up to this point.
1: Yeah, so I started off at. Publicis, when it was actually Publicis Bloom, um, a gentleman uh, with the last name of Bloom, whose name first name I forget. I'm sorry. Um, he started that agency, so that's where I got my start. It was I was there for five years. There was a new CCO every single year until finally uh, David Droga came on um, for the last few years, and I really enjoyed that time. And basically, my book went from zero to. 90% of it, um, within that time. So that's a real testament to him. And then from there, I really, I popped all around. I went to Deutsch, uh, for a short stint. I went actually to strawberry frog and I had a really productive five and a half years of strawberry frog. Um, so this is my second, When we keep calling it a tour. Like it's like, it's a tour. tour of degree. Degree. Yeah, yeah wow. exactly. You've seen, yeah. you've seen some yeah. things, you've seen, I've, some I've seen things. some things I know where the bodies are buried. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, then uh, I've done stints in freelance, been at Mother, been at uh, McCann, been at Grey, a whole bunch of places. And then before Strawberry Frog, I was at a media entity that was originally called Society. Um, It's a part of IPG Media Brands. Um, and that was creating, um, uh, an entire creative department within social media under the media umbrella, which I thought was really interesting because as we all know, when you hear a $10 million budget, that's 9 million that goes to media and then the $1 million goes to creative. So I was like, all right, oh, well, what if we go where the money is and see if we can start influencing some interesting creative? Um, and that was a really good, uh, experience leading and building that department. And then ultimately, um, the siren call of Strawberry Frog called me home, and, and here I am.
0: Yeah, and, and and you know, speaking of Strawberry Frog, tell us a little bit about sort of the the, the secret sauce, was, which is all around sort of movements, right? And you also mm-hmm. told me a little bit about some sort of internal movements that you guys are doing within companies. But give me the, the, the quick spiel, and then uh, we'll move into some uh, some other territory. But tell us a little bit about Strawberry Frog.
1: Yeah, so Strawberry Frog uh, has been really interesting because it has um, really evolved in my my first experience. And then, uh, of course, now um, we've always specialized in movements outside, which are the the, the consumer-facing movements, which are based on um, ideas on the rise in culture and then really being where people are and being where that momentum is and finding unique ways to link brand purpose um Uh, with these ideas and culture. And now we're also focusing on movements inside, which is really treating your internal audience like a consumer. So bringing consumer grade creative to an internal audience and galvanizing your internal purpose. And I think it's coming at a really unique and powerful time because more and more employees want to work at a place that believes in something that stands for something that has some sort of brand ethos beyond we sell good widgets. We're really good at that widget. We would like to get more of those widgets out in other people's hands. It's no, you want to, you want to belong to something. You want to belong to something bigger. And it's reaching those people and turning that internal audience into this galvanizing force and ideally a galvanizing force for good. So that's that's really where we're we're focusing now.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So as you think about um, as you think about the role of a creative director, um, what do you think that that role is? What, what's it really about? I'm I'm reading this book right now called "Herding Tigers" about you know leading creative teams and whatnot. And you know they have their own definition of what a what a creative. Uh, director especially executive creative director what do you think we do what what should we be doing
1: <laughs> I don't know if you can let me know in the chat um it's well, it's, it's so interesting because it's one of, and I think maybe a lot of professions are like this, but as you move up the chain, you get further away from your core competency. You know, when I came right. in, I was a writer. My job was to write and to concept and to think, and I write and I build, and that's what I do. And then all of a sudden, all right, well, maybe it's, no, I need to learn how to sell because now I'm going to be in front of clients. So now I need to be a salesman. I need to be, right. you know, client friendly and, and that. And then you move closer, then you start to being a part of the brief building process and then, oh, I need to be more strategic. This is where I need to go. Um, so it's, it's a mix. And now I feel like my job is still to shape creative. It's also to hopefully inspire people to challenge people. Um, it's, uh, to help strategy, find insights, to use what knowledge I have to find an interesting twist on things. Um, and in the pandemic, the job has become even more nuanced and layered because there is no. There's no just checking in on somebody. There's no looking over somebody's shoulder and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, oh, hey, is that? Oh, have you, have you thought about it this way? It is making, you know, very specific, you know, reaching out to people, setting up meetings and be like, how are you holding up? How is everything going? Right. Um, is are you are you overwhelmed? because well, we we don't know what's going on beyond our little Zoom environment. We assume that everyone is myopically focused on their work, but they're uh, dealing with a lot. And I, I personally worked on the empathy part of my executive creative director role to just try and imagine what everyone's dealing with on a day-to-day basis and still keep them propped up, keep them focused, keep them inspired and making sure that their, um, that their heads are, are in an optimal place to come up with really magical shit. Yeah, Exactly
0: yeah i wonder if 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 there will be a um you know i mean i I think we probably try to mimic the the in real life experience in in some way but you're right it's not you can't just pop over there we've we've been kind of experimenting with some things on on teams which is how we work you know about you know sort of a virtual um coffee shop right where people mm-hmm. can can just jump in whenever people aren't necessarily doing but I wonder if we'll get to a point where we can kind of mimic that that experience but what has it done to your creative process overall or or tell us a little bit about maybe what it was before and how it's how it's shifted or just give us a a sneak peek into sort of your the way that you approach the creative process
1: yeah you know for me what I love about the creative process is that it's it's chaos (laughs) it's chaos and spontaneity it is uh and those are two things that you really don't Have in this structured virtual environment. I mean, I have the chaos of my life. I have that in spades. Um, I have my wife in my, you know, office next door. I have my kids potentially walking in at any moment. I have all that kind of good stuff, but just that creative chaos, that energy, that feeling in the same room, um, and the spontaneity is tough, and I honestly I feel for younger creatives because I remember just how much I learned through osmosis of just me peeking my head over my little cubicle and hearing a conversation, hearing how somebody thinks of something, raising my hand, and being like, "Oh, can I get in on that? That sounds really cool um and it's tough, everything needs to be so structured and needs to be like, "Oh, yes, I've heard of this, and I'll, we'll slack you about my interest like it's just yeah, that's tough and i and i and I miss that, and I love a spark happening at different times of the day and somebody will, you know, charge forward with a sandwich in their hand because they thought of something while, you know, on lunch and, and they want to talk about it. And that's just, unfortunately that doesn't happen. And just, you know, creativity has become a little bit more walled. Um, but the beautiful part is, is that, and this sounds so cliche and apologies, but it's just like creativity finds a way. Yeah, And I think that's, what's so beautiful about it is that you, you can you can set up walls and you can set up structure and it will still find a way. Right. Um, and I'm I'm inspired by that every single day on how I think that we're creating such a challenging environment for people and they still come up with beautiful things.
0: You brought up something very interesting, which uh, about chaos, right? And about mm-hmm. sort of the creative process being chaos. I'm curious. So this this show is kind of part therapy for me, and I work things out with with other with other people in in my uh, line of work. Do you think that clients understand that there needs to be chaos? Because I, I found that everybody, even you know, within the agency, other folks that aren't in the creative team, they want a process. They want to feel like there's some kind of secret, you know, um, meat grinder that happens where you you, you put in all the insights and research. And then all of a sudden you you get these ideas, but they don't necessarily want to know. And I think it freaks them out that there is this, this, this part of the process that's sort of chaos and it's kind of a mess. And if you mapped it all out, it, it, it would look like some kind of weird amoeba thing growing. Do you think that, do you, do you share that with your clients? Do (laughs) they know that that's part of the process? And do you, do you agree that there, that there seems to be this expectation that it should be very linear and like, very clean and organized.
1: No, I, th- I think uh, creativity has to be messy. Uh, you know, it is not. It is not a linear process to look at a math problem and potentially look at a math problem for the tenth time in a row and come up with a different answer each time. You can't do that unless it's messy um, and unless your brain thinks a little bit differently. And I think. It's it's all relationships with clients, and there are some clients in which I would never share how the sausage is made. And then we you know we have a beautiful client, and I keep saying beautiful for some reason. Uh, we have a wonderful client in Northwell yeah. that we do have a great relationship with, in which we do share that the process is messy. You know, we'll come to that first creative presentation, and maybe it doesn't go well, and it's not the end of the relationship. It's right. just. That was part of it. Okay, we, we're we're testing the edges of the electrified fence. We got it. We got zapped over here. We got a little over here. This is where our focus is, and that's fine. And they don't they don't leave the meeting being like these assholes just don't get it. They just they, right. they don't get us. How dare they? I've I've had clients who I've shared work to, and their response is almost how dare you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like. We're, really yeah <laughs> I, I thought we were actually on this this journey together we're figuring this out together um, I'm not doing this to slight you I'm not doing this because right. I have my own agenda um, we're trying to figure out the most interesting way forward and to all of a sudden have that well you just don't understand us I'm like okay well I do I'm trying to push you but I do yeah um, you know but but good clients will come with you on that journey
0: and how do you you um... How do you suss that out? Is it just sort of by – just like you described, it's sort of trial by by fire? Is that the way you figure it out, or is there some kind of way that you, ahead of time, understand how the client wants to work or is comfortable
1: working? Yeah. No matter what, you have to be buttoned up. It's never – I'm never bringing a client chaos. <laughs> uh, the process may be that, but I'm never bringing a client that. It is smart. It is strategic. It is buttoned up. Um that doesn't mean that we won't push them. That doesn't mean that we won't make them uncomfortable. Um, and one of our clients loves the phrase uh, "make me comfortably uncomfortable," which is a, a, an amazing place to be. The fact that somebody's open to that—that—that that, that state of being—and um, so you just need to—you just need to feel that out. You feel that out in conversation. You feel that out in what body language we can gather over Zooms and, and Google Meets. Um, which is definitely an element that I miss of being in person, um, and then and then you see, and then you're right. Some of it is trial by fire, and if you get burned, you're like, okay, that was too far. We are they are not that cut that kind of client just yet.
0: Yeah, and, and so you said something interesting about um, sort of uh, being able to read the room, and it kind of ties into my next question, which is. You know, if you were doing this, what would you be doing? And you mentioned in our in our pre call that you did stand up comedy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so how does that how does that factor? Because uh, talk about reading the room, right? Well, you're a stand up comic. Comic, I imagine. I've never done it myself, but you got to sort of read the room. So tell us a little bit about how those things sort of correlate, and and how difficult it is
1: now to read the room on Zoom. Well. I'm so glad that I did, I attempted, I will say attempted, because I don't want to denigrate stand-up comics who are doing this every single day, day in and day out, and, and honing their crap. But I, I attempted it for a year, and I'm so glad that I did it after advertising, where I had a good 15 years of being told that I'm an idiot, and then not taking it personally. <laughs> because other stand-ups who are just starting out, they'll get up there, and they'll be like crickets, and they'll just be like, I'm devastated. I'm like, really? That, that's 98% of my client meetings. I feel yep. pretty good right now. Yeah. Um, so the, the callus of uh of advertising was 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 good and um I don't know I, I love doing stand-up I love making people laugh I think I think I enjoyed the writing aspect more than the performing aspect because it's just you just need to hone it over and over and over again and it is and it is honing one joke until it's perfect, and I like just constantly writing. I was like, why would I say that joke again? I, I want to write a new one. Um, but that's not how you have to think. Right. For me, I would just love to, I would love to write a screenplay, which I'm working on now, like the classic advertising cliche. Um, I would love to do something more in writing, write for a sitcom, as opposed to stand-up comedy. Right. Also, I'd, probably, I'd probably lose my wife and kids if I were traveling around the country, performing in the back of Chinese <laughs> food restaurants. <laughs>
0: So how many, like, what are we talking about here? I mean, how often were you doing it?
1: Uh, I was doing it, I guess it was a couple times a week. I would go and, you know, schlepping from Long Island. I'm now a, a suburbanite. Um into the city and do open mics and I'd be paying $10 for the privilege of doing an open mic. So it was a, it was a negative, uh, income. Um, so I would do that. I took a class at the comedy cellar and the amazing part of that is at the end you do two shows at the comedy cellar in the East village. Um, and I had my, you know, some friends and family show up. And so it's a built in home audience. Um, but it was cool. It was one of those things that I talked about for forever. And finally my wife is like, well, you know, if you're too big of a pussy to do it, then, you know, just don't do it. I'm yeah. like, this, this is, this is why I married you. And and then I basically, I signed up and that was that. And then inertia took over. So did, did, a, um, did, dream.
0: did your, did the advertising uh, experience factor into your bits? Was it, was, was it based on any of that stuff or what, what type of
1: uh, humor was it? Yeah. I mean, really pulling from my own, anxieties, observations. Um, You know, I talked about being a homeowner for the first time and having no skills other than paying for the home. Um, You know, I did, I was working on a bit uh, because my dad's, A doctor um, and complaining about your day and advertising to a physician is a very humbling experience, you know, and you'll come home and you'll be like, oh, God, they didn't like this idea. And I got to start from scratch. And somebody was such a pin in the ass on Zoom. And my dad would be like, yeah. I had to tell a couple of people that they're not going to make it. I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> I guess we both have a case of the Mondays. Ain't they did. Um, so it's, but it's good. And I, I honestly, I love that experience. And he, every time I tell that joke or some semblance of that joke, he's like, no, what you do is great and it's important. And I'm like, I love you for that, but. The reality check, right? Your wife is a, a a teacher, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's it's similar because there's been times where it's like, ah, can you believe that they brought in the same lunch that they did <laughs> yesterday? God, I can't believe it. I'm so tired of these sample sand- or whatever, <laughs> right? And she's like, uh, we never get lunch, and I had to pay three hundred dollars out of my own pocket to buy the kids' notebooks. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'll just i over <laughs> here now. But it's
1: great. I feel like everyone needs that person in their life. You need, you know, and and we, we, spoke about it earlier, but you know, I I take my craft very seriously. I take my skills very seriously. I cannot take advertising so seriously when I know that when I call my dad or you speak to your wife, that there are people doing truly life altering and occasionally life saving things. And then, so whenever somebody in advertising tells me like, Oh man, we got this big emergency. And I'm like, yeah. Let's back up. Take a breath. Yeah. Let's let's deconstruct that word "emergency." All right, so it's a logo. That's that's the issue. All right, yeah. let's talk about that. Let's not yeah. called an emergency. Yeah. The, the what do you what do you think about this? I I feel
0: like there's um this kind of thing that happens in our business where people love that they thrive on that they mm-hmm. thrive on the emergency and ah we're gonna have to work late and uh, you know it's it's sort of that whole you know madman sort of thing, right? You got your sleeves rolled up and there's boxes of Chinese food on the, you know, on the on the conference room table because you've been there all night and all that. Yeah. Is, is that necessary? Do we need that? Or is, is that a is that a, I, now you don't have that because we're all working from home. Uh but what what is that all about? is that still a thing? Because I try not to make it a thing. Obviously it happens every yeah. once in a while, but I try not to I, I think people sort of there's some sort of perverse desire to be that, right? And it's like a badge of honor, like, ah, we stayed up here all night, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I I feel like that's getting phased out a bit. Now, I'm sure there's 10,000 creators right now being like, this asshole doesn't work hard anymore. Like, maybe that's the case. I mean, when I first started out, and, you know, I I have an image that brings a smile to my face. It was the first time when I was first working at Strawberry Frog. It was me and three of my uh, creative co-workers waiting for the freight elevator at two o'clock in the morning to take us out where the garbage is pulled out. So you basically it was like your final insult of the night of you worked the entire night. We're like all in our winter gear. We get to walk past the garbage and then we're escorted by this surly Polish guy who operated the freight elevator. And then we would just be like good night and we do it the next morning. And I I loved it. I looked sure. at that picture with such fondness. Of working my ass off with a bunch of twenty-five-year-olds, and that was what we did. And we hung out together, and we worked, and we party together, and that—that that was our life. Um, I feel like the work-life balance is shifting. I, I feel like also uh, younger, the younger creatives, um, they don't—they don't see the need. You know, to be working for 14 hours a day. Sometimes I may want (laughs) younger people to be have that desire, but also, you know, who's doing it the, the healthier way? I think it's people who figure out a way to get it done in a reasonable amount of time. So is
0: that um uh so so when when you when you um what you just described, right? It's like sometimes you feel like you want them to. Which world are you? Are you are you kind of in the, in that old school world or you kind of see like, hey, maybe these guys have it right? Because I feel the same way sometimes. Like, like I said, I think sometimes we have to do that. I want to make it the exception, not the rule, because I also don't think that that produces the best results. I mean, what, yes. what, what do you think?
1: yeah no i agree people people slamming their heads against the wall at all hours of the night and on the weekend that that doesn't mean that you're going to get the best result you just want to know that people care right you know i just i just want to feel that you give a shit, and, and if and if my level of effort and my passion and my excitement isn't met and I feel that, then, then that's when I get a little anxious about it. If you're, if you're crushing it and you're, and you're, you're done at a reasonable hour, then great. But if I just don't feel that fire, that that's, that's when, you know, I get a little prickly, but it's also, you you also don't want to be that old guy who's like, well, my day, we did this and we blah, blah, blah. And we didn't sleep. And like, like, that doesn't help anybody. You right. know, and they're like, well, yeah, well, well, I travel and I have a positive you know, outlook on life and I have a work-life balance. So it's like, all right, fine. Maybe you're right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, especially when you're, you know, you sort of come up on sort of both ends, right? You you remember those days and then you're kind of moved into this new era where people are like, I'm, you know, I'm traveling. I'm going to be working out of an airstream or I'm going to be, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, OK, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you – you talked about you know, maintaining sort of a certain level of inspiration, which then you pass on to your team. What, where do you draw inspiration from? Are you, do you listen to podcasts or you, you know, do you read books? I love to sort of read books and kind of stay um, you know, excited and interested in things. But where, where do you draw inspiration from?
1: Yeah, maybe I should save this for my, uh, again, another confession. I feel like 90% of this podcast could just be my confessions of advertising. (laughs) But I don't read enough. Like, I'm ashamed of how little I read. I do listen to podcasts. My... um. I I'm inspired by lines of dialogue that I hear, you know, sometimes if I'm just, I'm watching a movie or, or, I'm, or I'm watching a show, I happen to be for some reason addicted to that new show, Mr. Mayor with, uh, um, Oh my goodness. Uh, Is it
0: Ted Danson? Ted Danson. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's just some of the lines of dialogue are just so goddamn sharp. And that all of a sudden it fuels me, but it also triggers my insecurity, which I think is also the general inspiration for my creative outlet. And yeah. it's just, I suck. I suck. I'm never gonna be yeah. as good as that. And then that just pushes me to be better. So that pushes me, and then almost going the opposite way is just finding ways to unplug. Like it is our lives are very <laughs> chaotic right now and very always on. Um you know, if we're not looking at a Zoom, we're on our phones, we're on Slack, we're always reachable. I have two young kids dealing with the stresses of that. Um, so for me, anything I can do to just zen a bit, you know, I'll play guitar for 15 minutes. Sometimes that is my best inspiration. It's not hearing something that triggers me. It's, it's just calming the chaos of my brain to try and look at something in a fresh way.
0: Oh, cool! I didn't know you're a guitar player. We'll have to have a whole other conversation sure. about that, as you can see in my little background. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I dig him. Yeah. Um, so as I was preparing for our, our, our podcast, I went to your um, to your portfolio site, and it's interesting because you were just talking about lines of dialogue and, and things that inspire you. And I love the piece that you did for 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 Jim Beam. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't tell just by reading some of the stuff until you kind of told me that you sort of came up more as a writer. For some reason, I thought maybe you also had a design background. Um, but tell me about tell me a little bit about that. And sorry to spring this on you, but it, it just That's what you you talking about sort of being inspired by lines. I love that. Um, I love that ad, um, and I think it won some awards. It's William Defoe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll uh, I'll put a link up to that on the. Um, uh, so that people can check it out but tell me about that how that came to be and were you involved um uh, intimately in the writing of it or were you more yes. okay tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah so i mean that was really um it was just an amazing project it was directed by dante Ariola, who i had a man crush on from the first time i saw his volkswagen ad with the uh You know, the guy who's driving to break up the wedding in that small chapel. I don't know if you remember that. And I think it says buckle your seatbelts right at the very end when he arrives. And it just cuts before anything happens. I'm like, I want to work with that guy. All of a sudden, finally, I'm working with him. Um, You know, directing, helping to direct Willem Dafoe was surreal. At at one point, I'll tell a side story and then then we can get to the thing. So at one point, you know, he, um, you know, the spot's all about the different, uh, possibilities that he could have been. Right. Um, all the different avenues in life that he could have taken. And actually, some of it is actually pulled from his life because he um, grew up in Milwaukee and then decided to, he could have stayed in a small town or he could have moved to New York. And at the very end, the little kid, you know, the, the teenager kind of gets up and he and he takes his path. Yeah. Um, but in one of them, you know, he's this, you know almost skinhead looking character in uh, in this punk uh, mosh pit and he's like sucking himself up in, in this just completely graffitied out bathroom and he slams the the mirror and at one point the client uh kind of you know whispers over to me and he's like he's a little angry. I'm like, okay, um, you, need, you need to tell him that you need to tell him to dial it back a little bit." And at that point, so that shot, it's in a tiny little bathroom in a real uh, L.A. dive punk bar. Um, The only people who are in that room are Dante, who's sitting on the toilet, (laughs) uh, listening for feedback, and Willem Dafoe, who's in full skinhead-looking gear. And then there's a light curtain that's blocking the door with about a one-foot gap on the ground. So I have to army crawl on my belly to get under this uh, screen and then I just pop up and there I am in the bathroom and Willem Defoe is full in character and just eyes bugging out and then just like what's going on, what's going on? And then there's Dante Ariola giving me that, don't say anything stupid. Oh. Just don't say anything stupid. I'm like, uh Mr. Uh Mr. Defoe, uh if we could just uh you know dial back the anger a little bit, that'd be great. And then I have to crawl backwards <laughs> on my belly, legs first out of the bathroom, and then he did it perfectly. It was, um, it was just, it was just awesome. It was surreal. Um, you know, my, my team on it was wonderful, constantly revising and refining the language for this, um, bold choice philosophy and this idea that all choices lead you somewhere, bold choices lead you where you're supposed to be. And it was a big step for Jim Beam up until that point. It had been kid rock and let's get fucked up in college and they really wanted to elevate uh, this bourbon to be something a bit more sophisticated. So it was a right. big week for them.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful piece. And so do you get, does that satisfy your, your itch for, you know, writing a screenplay or writing? I mean, do you, does that satisfy that, that itch, even though, you know, it's sort of a commercial endeavor, right? Does that give you what you need from, you know, e- expressing your, the, the writer side?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I'm always in awe of wonderful writing um in all of its forms. So I I love that. I mean, it, it's tough because it, you know, it stays on a page for so long and then you want to write the next thing. You want to write the next, but it's also beautiful. It's just so wonderful about our job. Is that something that will exist in a Google doc or word doc? And then the next thing, you know, you're crawling on the ground (laughs) in a, uh, in a basement dive bar and speaking to Willem Dafoe when you're dream director. And it's, uh, it's just, it's just so great to be a part of the process. And um, I don't know. I, I, I just like you know I I just love making things too you know yeah. I think it's not just it's not just the written words the fact that that can manifest itself in in life
0: right and that kind of is a good transition into you know where we are now in terms of advertising and obviously COVID has just um, you know put some new interesting constraints or some new challenges on things right so you're talking about what sounds like a pretty big budget sort of shoot, right? You're in LA. You've, you've actually gone to a punk club and, uh, judging from the video, you also had several other different sets. That's, that's sort of changed, right? Where do you think, what, what's next? Will we get back to that? Will or have clients realize like, huh, maybe maybe we can um, be a little bit scrappier and do things um, for less money or maybe we don't need to, you know, or what do you think is going to happen?
1: I certainly hope that we get back to that in some capacity. I think there was there's nothing that's going to replace all being together, including clients, including clients being on set and talking things through and having them see how the process works, um, building a real relationship with a director as opposed to, again, a virtual relationship with a director, and um, also being able to problem-solve live. You know, I think that the biggest detriment of virtual productions, and I am beyond proud of the ones that we've done, and I'm happy to talk about them, especially for Northwell, is that everything just takes longer. <laughs> there's very little um, there's just very little flow. Everything comes with all right, now let's share this out. Let's post this. Oh, there's something wrong with our with our uh, with our uplink right now. We can all right, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll oh, sorry, we posted the wrong thing. Hold on, let's get on. Let's it's just and also, you know, being in an edit room, being like, I, I just, I love all of those production and post production processes. Like, I, yeah. I love, I love the sound of a soundproof door closing. I love, yeah. oh you, know, I love you know, all of all of these little things, you know. And it's not just the peanut M and M's. It's not just ordering sushi. It's not just you know the breakfast burrito. Though I definitely miss the yeah. breakfast burrito. Yeah. Um, it's it's just being. I, I feel more of an observer, you know, we're doing it and we're, we're moving the dials, but uh, I feel more of an observer now. Yeah. And I do think that the creative itself will improve as we get back to that. That said, <laughs> we are becoming a little bit of victims of our own success because we are doing tremendous work remotely yeah um for northwell we've done work that i am so proud of we did um we've done everything from epic films we've done a film that we shot in south africa i always wanted to shoot in south africa now i did staying up until four o'clock in the morning on my laptop um we're about to do a, another beautiful one that's going to launch in march for women's health um for northwell and that has a lot of cg, CG and um and that's with a director who's in Canada and everything's been done in Canada. Um, we've even done something called the uh, the Hope Tracker, um, which was yeah. a digital billboard in Madison Square Garden, which I'm so proud of. And it was right at the peak um, in New York, you know, which was basically ground zero for the, the coronavirus, and we were just all drowning in negative numbers. It was how many new cases, how many thousands of deaths. And that was all we heard. But Northwell, which is the largest healthcare system in New York, um, they saw every single day that there were there was another data set of patients being discharged healthily, people making it through the COVID process, and they would have these joyous moments where they're clapping people out, and the nurses and the doctors would line up as they would wheel these patients who have reco- recovered from this horrible disease that at the time we knew very little about. Um, So we created the Hope Tracker, which basically uh, tallied up all of these successfully and healthily discharged patients. And we broadcast that to the city of New York uh, when, when they were drowning in just negative numbers. So I'm just so proud of, again, creativity will find a way. And the one thing I continue to be in awe of and the thing that I'm so proud of is that we're living through this thing too, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're trying to guide our clients um, on the best way forward. We're trying to put compelling and important and powerful work out into the world. And then for Northwell, the amount, the honor and the pressure of leading the, the largest healthcare system during a pandemic, through the pandemic, how is this healthcare system going to speak to people and speak to New Yorkers during the pandemic? But we need to remind ourselves that everyone who's working on this thing is, is living through a pandemic. We're all dealing with something that's completely brand new and the stresses and the emotional strain, and we're still able to find a way. And it's so inspiring to me.
0: Yeah, that is, that is pretty cool. And I think that that that's the kind of work that you're going to be proud to tell your, uh, your kids about, right? And, and that's, you know, if we're, if we're being honest, it's, it's, it's sometimes rare in our, in our business to be able to really, to be able to you know, be really proud of something on that level. Right. Cause I imagine mm-hmm. that you have made a difference to the people of New York as they look, look up at that. Right. And then they maybe f- for, for a few minutes feel a, 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 they do feel a sense of hope. So that is, that's pretty neat that you're able to kind of feel that like, Hey, I did, I did something really good through
1: my work. <laughs> right. And yeah, and, it yeah. helps. It helps being able to talk to my dad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) just to to have something fulfilling and meaningful and you know you know my 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 basis and you know reptilian instinct is always to want to make people laugh yeah but but i also love putting out important work you know as you know as you as you alluded to advertising isn't always the cleanest industry in the world and we don't want to always feel good about what we put out there maybe the creative product but you know what value does it add but when you're working on um, important clients and clients who have real missions for positivity and for good in the world—that makes you feel wonderful.
0: Have you noticed also? Um, and, and we we talk about this, and you, you you know it's it's part of the mission there at Strawberry Frog. But have you noticed more brands, you know, shifting to more sort of purpose-driven messaging, or or you know, are you seeing that
1: uh, happen more often? Absolutely. I think, I think many are doing it authentically, which is wonderful, um, and more power to them. And that's honestly what Strawberry Frog is all about, about act, helping to uh, activate brands' purpose and helping them find it and making sure that it's um, authentically connected to who they are and what they want to do. And I think that some brands are winging it, and yeah. it's not authentic. And I, and I think that consumers are savvy enough to smell that from a mile away. Um, you know, when you do, you know, uh something about racial inequality or saving the environment, whatever, some major social cause. And then it's like, and buy our salty snack. You're like, Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. I guess have you always cared about this? Are you doing anything about it? Or is just this just something that feels apropos at the time? Right. And that that's the tough part. Um And, you know, so it's, it just needs to be, you just need to be true to yourself.
0: Yeah. So are there any other sort of trends that you're seeing that are, that, um, that we should be thinking about, um, here in the coming months as we start to maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel, are there any trends or things that you, that you're seeing or that you're excited about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing,
1: incorporating into your work? this idea of the the death of disruption and um i think that when i came up in advertising was all about how how can we interrupt people how can we how can we be disruptors how can we um you know stop them in their tracks and whatever they're doing we just break them out of that mind space and and it and i just feel like that's going away and now it is much more how can we be a part of the conversation that's already happening authentically Not just like, hey, have you thought about this soft drink while you're fighting crime? Like it's not, it's it's not, it's not that. And I think platforms like TikTok are trying to do it authentically. Um, You know, granted, a lot of it is influencers and product placement and all that kind of stuff. But it's also, it's, um, it's just go, it's, it's just being where you should be. And I think it's up to brands and it's up to um, agencies or, or, or marketing firms to figure out where should your brand authentically be. And how do you not interrupt a conversation, but uh, join it and ideally build on it and, and actually provide value? Um, now, some of that value could be entertainment, and that's great. Um, some of it can be actual tangible value, but it's really not... Excuse me. Uh, I'd like to tell you a story. I like, I like right, you, right. you know, goods and wares to sell you. It is, um, it is, you know, Hey, you're, you're into this. That's cool. Let's talk about this. Da, 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 da. This this conversations already going on. Oh yeah. We have something to add to that. Or we like this too. And I, I think, um I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a, in some ways it's subtle, right? And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's being there, it's sharing, um, you know, a passion, Sharing and understanding a passion that the consumer has and saying, Hey, we as a brand, as a company, also have that passion and kind of coming along for the ride, almost like a friend, right? It's like, mm-hmm. hey, they like the same things we do. But I of, I sometimes find that, you know, clients they want they want big things to happen immediately, right? They're not, they're they're not kind of like, oh, this is this is good. This is subtle. We're we're kind of, you know, we're we're vibing with our consumers, right? They want to see big um, big movement and they want, they, they sometimes still want, yeah, it. yeah. it's like, how can we knock, but you know, authentically, you know, but how do you, you know, it's interesting. how do you, and I don't expect you to have an answer unless you do. Uh, but how, <laughs> yeah, how do you, get the answers them, for everything. how do you, how do you get them to, you know, to understand that? It's like, this is a long-term thing here. I mean, yes, we can make a big splash, but if you really want to make an impact, we're talking about years to kind of really get in there. Um,
1: how, yeah. do, you, how do you do that? Well, a year's conversation is a tough conversation to have, you know, uh, agencies aren't often given years, sometimes they're given months to, to crack it and then figure it out. And it's, again, it all comes back to relationship building. I think if yeah. you have a great relationship with a client, then they will come with you on that journey and inch by inch, um, you'll all realize that you all are headed in the same direction. That the, 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 the relationships that are, you are the client and we are the uh, agency that's trying to serve you and we have our motives and you have our motives like that, it's just never going to work. It's just not, that's, that's just broken from the beginning. You need to realize that we're not doing things to get one over on you. We're not doing things right. because we just want to pat our books. We're doing it because we care about you. We care about your business. We care about this end goal and we're doing it together. And then once you build up that trust, then then you get a little bit more rope and you get a little bit more leeway. Um, but it's also again we're in the middle of an economic crisis, a pandemic. People need results now. People need to turn their businesses around now. So it's it's a it's a constant balance of there's the short term goals and needs that we all have, and then there's the long term of. Um, you know, fostering relationships with your with your audience, be it they external or internal, uh, and helping everyone create a lasting relationship as opposed to just a quick pop that's gone a year from now.
0: Yeah, and you do good bring up a good point, and that I that I hadn't considered is you're right. I mean, the companies are also needing just to stay afloat, right? They they need they need that quick action. So that that is a good point that I hadn't considered. So you're you're much smarter and much more thoughtful than, than me. Uh, yes, clearly. Clearly. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so um, so we we've come to that point in the show where we have to pay off the uh, the title, which is Confessions of a Creative Director as you know. So take a swig of the whiskey that's in your the Jim Beam that's oh, in yeah.
1: your Yeah, I should, I should
0: a little product placement there, a little Jim Beam in your in your coffee there. I
1: and, should you pay for and, that.
0: And let it uh, uh, let it rip tell us what you've been dying to get off your your creative director chest
1: i feel like i have numerous confessions. it's been yeah, a long career hey, um... we, we've,
0: got, <laughs> hey we've got the times so if you're if you're good i'm good i this has been a great conversation by the way so keep it keep it coming
1: yeah i um Let's see what's what's a good confession. Well, one is a story about, and a lot of people that I, that who've worked with me that I've told this as a humbling experience. So, the first print ad that I ever made and had published it was a full page New York Times, and it was for BMW when I worked at Publicis. Cool. And at the time, their biggest competitor was Lexus, who had the relentless pursuit of perfection uh line so i wrote a headline which i thought was super smart that was making fun of the word perfection and there was a typo in the headline that ran in the new york times that nobody caught no that was the first that was how my career theoretically started wait 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 wait. so are you saying
0: the client never caught it either
1: client never caught it our (laughs) proofreader never caught it i obviously never caught it the word transmission was misspelled in a line, making fun of the relentless <laughs> pursuit of perfection, full page, full page New York Times. That's how my career started.
0: But do, so, but but did anybody ever find out? Like it never, like nobody ever. Oh yes, oh, yes. Okay. okay,
1: okay. Yes, yeah. There was yes, people found. <laughs>
0: people you, found out. Afterwards. You could have put a you could have put a spin on that and by said yes. As a matter of fact, I, that was on purpose because I was proving the point that perfection is is an illusion, yeah. and and we illustrated that by making a mistake. On a, on a print ahead of the New York Times.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I was so, not quick enough. Uh, the, the sheer terror took over. How did that, so <laughs> that?
0: Tell me, how did you? Where were you? I, I'm sure you still remember when you when you found out. Was it when you saw it for the first time, or?
1: I'm trying. I think I'd be lying if I was the one who picked up on it. I think somebody brought, yeah, I think it was a coworker who brought it up to me and they basically were like, do you notice anything about this headline? And it was just that oh shit moment and all the blood drained out of my body. What's amazing is that my mom still has a copy of that original New York Times. And so uh, she keeps a folder of all my greatest exploits. And of course that is – that's tops on the list.
0: How did you um, – what were the consequences? What what happened?
1: I, I mean – You have a job, think, so – yeah they could have been much worse. I could have been fired. The agency could have been fired. Who the hell knows the proofreader should have been fired. He wasn't yeah. um, but uh no, fortunately it was it was fixed, and we moved on, which is an amazingly peaceful res- resolution to something that i I thought was going to go horribly wrong.
0: oh my gosh i can't even I can't even imagine all right yeah. good what, what else give me a, give me another one. Give me another one
1: <laughs> um. I feel, like it's a, I feel like it's a confession these days, considering how 360, 360, integrated, holistic, socially minded we all need to be. But I love making television commercials. <laughs> I love making films, I should say.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and... Like I said, you know, the, the, the sound, the sound of, a, of a soundproof door closing, the, the, the clicking of the mixing table uh, going into place, like all those things, I, I love that. That's and so I know cool. that we should love, you know, AR and VR and, and Alexa skills and all these other wonderful things. And I do. I love technology. Half of my portfolio is this and I love pushing innovation. But my greatest confession that nothing gives me joy like making a making a film.
0: That's so funny when you said the thing about the uh, the soundproof door. I, I immediately went like, that is the coolest sound. You're right. It's that, Whoo! it's that, yeah. uh, just, you know, that quiet sort of, but it, you, it it seals, it seals you in. That's so funny. And I, and I love that too. We don't, we don't, um, I, I did commercials in a, in a previous life, but we don't necessarily do that much of it, but I do love content and we don't get to make nearly enough of it. And I, and I do want to get back to. Uh, doing that because you're right, it is fun. There's an energy and an excitement, and and it just kind of this live. You're making something on the fly, kind of feeling that I don't think you can replicate on some of those other things. What do you think yeah. about? Uh, and, and sorry to jump back in here, but we're having such a good conversation here. What do you think about VR and AR? I mean, is it? Uh, you know, I, I personally like. I, I feel like maybe an augmented reality is sort of more maybe has is more sustainable but what do you what do you think about that whole thing is it here to stay i imagine it is but
1: yeah i i'm with you i think that ar is obviously has more instant growth potential than vr to to me it's a it's a scale thing um you know so many times you know i've wanted to be like oh it'd be great if you know people could put on these goggles and have this immersive experience people could do this and you're like okay the 20 people in a room can share that, or maybe you have you know a, a cardboard box that you build around your phone, and I'm like, nobody's going to do that. And, um, you know, one of my biggest, one of the biggest lessons that I learned is actually from a creative director, executive creative director at Strawberry Frog, Kevin McCune. And he'd always sit back, and for some reason, he would rub his chest when he would say, <laughs> He would always just say, I don't know. Would anybody do that? And it's <laughs> such it's such an amazing question because I think that as creatives, we get excited about the possibility of what people could do, but we don't often want to acknowledge the reality that people won't actually do it. Right. Um, It'll win an award,
0: but it'll win an award, and we'll get a write-up in Adweek, and you
1: know exactly, you know. But I don't know. Does it matter if I, you know, hold up my phone and uh, a party hat magically appears, you know, with my company's logo on it, or all of a sudden now now I have a beard, um, which I can't grow naturally? Um, So it's, I think. I think the technology will get there. I think that people are starting to use it in really interesting ways, Um, and I think. It's it's just a balance. It's a balance. I think there's there's the innovation ideas that are just for fun and they're goofy and they make you feel good about the brand. And I think that there are people using innovation to provide real value and um, imagine different things in their homes. And and also, I keep thinking about if our virtual reality continues to exist for an you know, for an extended period of time, is technology going to help us? imagine worlds beyond our home offices right um and will that help actually and that will that actually be important for our mental health is to use technology to help us escape yeah. and i feel like before the pandemic um technology almost had us be more isolated it was that classic cliche if we've never been more connected and we've never felt more alone at the same yeah. time right. and i think that all of a sudden the pandemic was like, wait a second, all this technology that had us being very insular and very uh, into ourselves is now helping us truly connect with other people. And I think that that's really what is most exciting about the potential of the technology.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to, so I'm pitching the idea of the magic hat and the beard later. So are, are you saying that's a, good idea? <laughs> it's
1: a good, good idea? It's all good. It's all yours. This is all yeah. free IP.
0: And next time uh, that we do this podcast, it's all going to be in the metaverse. We're going to have Oculus, you know, uh, rigs. Yes. It's going to be awesome. So we're bringing that to uh, the podcast. But uh, thanks thanks for joining the show. This was an incredible conversation. I feel like we could probably talk for for another hour, but I, I'm sure you've got uh, things to do. But I really appreciate it. I think the audience is going to love just sort of your perspective and your experience. And uh, I'll post up some links so that people can check out your Amazing work and yeah, you know, thanks for being on the show. This was a real treat.
1: Yeah, this was a blast. I had a really good time. Thank you. Excellent. All right, Josh. We'll talk to you soon. Take okay. care. Okay. All right. Bye.
0: There you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. My thanks to Josh Greenspan. What a great conversation. Definitely one of my uh favorites so far check out his work go to josh greenspan.com a lot of amazing work that he's done there check out that jim beam uh piece it's really really cool i I think that you will enjoy it so again thanks for tuning in please tell your friends about the show subscribe to the podcast we're trying to uh, really grow the audience in uh 2021 so tell everybody you know uh to tune into the podcast and check that out Our theme music, Make the Logo Bigger, by the unknown band uh, that I am still searching for. I'm not really searching for them, so hopefully they don't don't come back and sue me. But if anybody knows who they are, please let me know so that I can uh, send them a nice bottle of tequila or something like that. Now I'm going to play you out with uh, one of the songs from the Song Club. I think we're up to number 46 or 47, 48, something like that. We'll get to 52 uh, songs here pretty soon. This song's called Be Cool, Be Cool. It's a little cool, instrumental cool, number. Cool. So, until next time, thanks for tuning in. Peace! Alright, alright.